This week on the show, Scott Thoreau. It's an American story about trying to impress your father and show him that I'm not a failure and that I want to make art and no one cares about my art. Shaka King. This is like maybe a few years before we made the movie. Chris comes and Chris has watched me, Keith, and my cousin do this for years. M2 McGant. Scorsese was trying to strangely mute it because I don't think he was really ready to deal with it. And Marcus Penn. Do you think you have a better understanding or just a more wide range or appreciation of movies than say a Hans Zimmer or John Williams? Like do you see, do you really think Hans Zimmer has ever seen Pootie Tang? Hello listeners and viewers, this is Warren Wade Anderson. Welcome to the 86th episode of Inside the Phoenix. As you just heard in the cold opening, we have four guests this week. Scott Thoreau, musician and film composer, Shaka King, writer and director of the feature film Newlyweeds, M. Tume Gant, writer and director of the short film Spit, and my co-host, film critic Marcus Pinn. In preparing this discussion, I wanted to start the conversation with Scott and gradually cast a wider net to include Shaka's short film Moulin Yachts. As you will see in here, my plans went off the rails a few minutes into our discussion and quickly evolved into a thought-provoking dialogue that no one could have anticipated. With all that said, let's join my discussion with this week's guests. I started by asking Scott, how do you think of your artistic uh, endeavors? Do you think of yourself as a composer? Do you think of yourself as purely a musician? Do you think of yourself as, what, what do you think of your, what do you think you're pursuing? My, I'm pursuing beauty, and that is however I can convey it. And I, right now, the avenue that I have been going for is that of film. Mm-hmm. So when I am making film, I am hoping that I am a film composer and not doing horrible things and, and ruining people's <laughs> movies. But I think of myself as a musician and just I hold myself to a very high standard of that that isn't just anything. Being okay. being a creator of things is special and should be thought of it that way. So You're originally from Brooklyn. Yeah. What part? I'm from Carroll Gardens. Where did you get your music training from? I went to PPAS. Mm-hmm. What is PPA? Professional Performing Arts School. Uh, you know, a, listen, I don't know, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I don't want to get all like T.S. Eliot and like be like, I'm going to say all these things without, you know, you right. assume, people assuming. So I'll try not to be too in universe, as Wikipedia says. Okay. So I, I went to Professional Performing Arts School. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the. I'm the least known person. Like Britney Spears went there for like a week. Alicia Keys went there. I was in a gospel course with Alicia Keys a very long time ago. How how was that? Was was she did was she did sort of bursting with talent back then? Yeah, yeah, she was incredibly talented. Very very nice person. Very talented. How did you go from there? Like now, I, I, I can name off your credentials from what I the credentials that I know, mm. which is uh, you did uh, the score for Spit which is a short film yeah. for Newlyweeds. Mm. I see that you did a score for a Spike Lee joint, right? A Spike Lee produced film, not as not a Spike Lee directed film. The thing about all of those films, and they're all different, 
a film like like Inception, for instance, right? People know the music for that film because it's sort of like yeah. it's really realistic. It's on top of the film, you know. I had the feeling that the music for this film that it 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 in it helped the narrative along in a sense that it didn't dominate the narrative, but make the narrative for each one of these for at least for the ones that I've seen, Spit and Newlyweeds, work. I didn't feel like you were. <laughs> overpowering the, the 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 viewing experience. Thank you. That was the that was the hope. Okay. Okay. You know, Inception and films like that. Those that's Hans Zimmer. Yes. And he, I like his his scores a lot. Uh, his access is different than my access, so I'm just trying to lead and help the 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 narrative in a way that I can. What is your philosophy of film scoring? Uh to not overbear not over. so i don't know if i would ever do something inceptionish because i don't know that i could because I, I just i want to i want to like subtly help the story the mm-hmm. the the louder more complicated orchestral stuff is probably not stuff that's going to be sent my way you know i i took a look also at your collaboration with um tone tank oh uh, yes i i got the feeling that you were very much influenced by hip hop. How is that influence, hip hop influence, uh, sort of bleed through in your work now? Do you have a, a way to sort of look at that objectively and see how it came into your work? Objectively, no, but right. it's it's everything. I mean, rap music is my favorite music. It's the music, so it's going to be any music I do is somewhere there. You heard hip hop at a very influential age in your adolescence and pre-adolescent years and that's the you know for everyone that's the music that they always go back to as they get older yeah but for composers and even for like i'm thinking of myself like i'm an architect okay and i can think about like frank lloyd wright is my touchstone and but i have other influences that i can go to and i have other influence influences that i can refer to have you done that have you gone to those other influences what are those other influences i think the other influences probably are seen more because in film scoring um too much drumming can be uh can take away your focus so you'll end i end up i still make music the way i would make rap music but there's less drums. The drums are usually taken out, or I put them in and I'm asked to take them out because. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I'm still making the music that way, and that's what I think is is why some people might like what I do or hate what I do because I, that I, I still come from the school of making the music that I love, though I think the other music that I listen to a lot of in my adulthood, which is like. Eric Satie piano works probably mm. comes across more because it's something that would come across more in film. I mean, okay. uh, I, you never forget, uh, except I just forgot. Uh, <laughs> our, our man, Terrence Malick, um, the movie with the violence, his second movie, Badlands. Oh, that's his first. Sorry, first one. You'll never forget. I never forget that Eric Satie's in there in a super weird point. You know, and Mm -hmm. so the influences are always are always there. A lot of people are not aware of the process of applying music to to movies, whether it's a short or a feature film. How do you go about doing that? In the new school world, old Mm -hmm. school world is you as someone like a John Williams or something would just write 
uh, a score, a symphony or something, and then they would cut it. But how like with newlyweds, we just watched the movie, figured out where the the parts were, and then would slowly make music for it and be like, "What do you think about this? Where sh- is this? Is this good?" And the secret about new cinema is that people. When you who, say new cinema, new cinema in the sense that computers. Oh, uh, just like whatever the next, the past twenty years, okay, and the next twenty years mm-hmm. is that composers should get out of their egos and do make less music. Hmm. And okay. you see that in movies. Is that movies have a lot more silence? In in uh, Valhalla Rising. There's like three instances of music the entire time. And when they do, it's like you're like you you focus on it. I feel like European filmmakers in general use music much less than American filmmakers do. Because well, I it's think, a different style of filmmaking. And I, a few years ago, I realized how influential indirectly and sometimes directly. I think Robert Bresson is one of the most influential films and within art house and indie, whatever. And he's another one who hardly has any music. Like I trace from Claire Denis, Bertrand Benello, Michael Haneke. Uh, so many people borrow heavily from him and he hardly has music in his, in his movie. So I think that's a big part of it. I think it goes almost directly back to him. Yeah. I think. I think it's a modern European though, because if you look at Kislowski, because no, Kislowski in the '90s flooded, yeah, flooded his his music, uh, his movies with music. But music is an interesting thing, because I, I then I start to get weird, I start to go, well, everyone's going silent. Maybe I should like flood the thing with music for like for like is, is this, for like ten minutes. You know what I'm saying? Like for like if it's twelve minutes, it should be ten do, minutes do of music. All, do we all agree with that? Like, do we all agree that there's less and less music with independence? I, I know, I know. For like the commercial films, I think silent and quiet is. I think silent and quiet. I mean, watching like so many films this past year on the film festival circuit, silent and quiet is really popular now. But but so is but in I think an independent especially American independent cinema in those silent quiets. And and mm. that's true too. But in but I think also in a lot of those sort of silent quiet moments, you you're not noticing that there's like cheesy music there. Yeah. There's like sort of cheesy beach houses. Scott calls it music, um, and it is beach. That's great. I mean, that's like literally the best terminology for it. It is it does sound like, you know wind chimes but you know with melody yeah you know i didn't know if you were going to ask but if i was prepared with my list of favorite movies one of them one of them is freddie got fingered which i think oh my god i think is i think it's <laughs> another underrated movie. it's an it's abstract so masterpiece it's so random it's incredible it's, it's dadaism yeah. as it at its finest yeah. it's dadaism it's consumption I mean, I, yeah it's, it's mania it's a weird movie he jerks off two types of animal dicks yeah. It is, it is, it, it, but at the end of the day, it's an American story about trying to impress your father and show him that I'm not a failure and that I want to make art and no one cares about my art. And it's told in such an insane way. It's the, the toolkit is insane and strange and beautiful. And Shaquille O'Neal's in there. And like, he why? He a girl's legs who can't feel. Yeah. She has no feeling in her legs and she gets off by being beat. On her legs with a like cane. it's as weird yeah. as like a clown film or like even some of our you know like it's weird but like it doesn't get compared to Strassic or something right. and but it's one it's one of my top five favorite films here here's but okay but this what we're talking about right now ties directly to what Warren's saying like what do you ha- like 
Do you think you have, and again, this is being presumptuous, do you think you have a better understanding or just a more wide range or appreciation of movies than, say, a Hans Zimmer or John Williams? Like, do you see, do you really think Hans Zimmer has ever seen Pootie Tang or Freddy Got Fingered? You know what I'm saying? I I hope he has. But I don't think so. And you know all the movies. Like, I feel like they're just an E.T. Inception kind of world. Like, I don't see them going to, like, anthology film archives or watching Super Troopers or something like that. And you know it's, what I mean? like it's too bad because range. I think, if, I think that's... If, if Hans Zimmer, you know, I think he would do a great... He would do a great comedy film. So let me go on. Let me get to uh, Mulyan. On the surface is you kind of making fun of stereotypical Italians in Brooklyn. In... in- I think uh, sort of Italian-American mafia cinema, right? specifically. Mm-hmm. The, the term Mulyans, tell, tell the listeners and viewers, you know, Shaka, who, 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 what, what Mulyans, what does that mean? So it means a nigger. Right. And um, it's basically, what it technically means, it comes from, I think, the term melanzane, mm-hmm. which means eggplant in Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point it was adapted... Uh, by, I think, Italian-Americans into Moulinians to right. say, I mean, it's kind of a clever insult, you know. If you're black, you're an eggplant, so. But it's taken on a derogatory turn to mean nigger. You know, it's it's that, but what I see it as is sort of a reverse, sort of a reverse racism. You're You're basically saying that if blacks were in a similar position, they might take on that same kind of characteristic of, of um, being discriminatory. Well, I think that's something that, you know, depending on the individual watching it, they can mm-hmm. extrapolate. But that wasn't the intent to say that, you know, black people would behave this way if we were the sort of, um, like... Maybe that's do- my projection. Re- because dominant, <laughs> so, you know, race in this society in right. terms of power. I, I, that wasn't the intent. It's been my contention that racism or discrimination will always exist because people need to feel that there that they're other people that are below them in order for them to feel better about the world in which they live in. Well, stratification maybe right. will always exist, but I, I think that racism is, that's not like sort of, that's not a human, that's not sort of endemic to human behavior. I think it's, it's I know it's a, you know, societal creation. So I don't think that... Isn't, like, it, is, isn't it a sort of a natural extension of stratification? Um, well, there's so many different types, though. Like, I mean, there's classism, there's racism, there's sexism, and all of those are, you know, one group subjugating another group. Right. But each are different and have their own nuances. Um, and, you know, I don't think any of them are natural. I don't think any of them are, you know, like, if you sort of were to start over again with the human race, I don't think any of them would necessarily exist. Because I don't think that human beings, by nature, are oppressive. I disagree with Shaka. I do too! (laughs) I think with intelligence comes hubris and with hubris comes mistakes and violence i don't think that white people as people Mm -hmm. have some kind of like devilish gene in them i think oh no 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 i i I, the 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 reason i say that we create the you think 
you think that uh, there'd be a black supremacist power structure? Yes. That, 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 is, that mirrors the exact power structure? Not the have. exact. It wouldn't be exact, but it would be similar. I'm so curious. I have no. I have no way to because sort of if I, I, I would think about like even African, there, there, there's discrimination even within Certainly. African. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Den- I'm not denying that. Right. I, I just, I just don't think it would be. It wouldn't be the like, same. I don't. I don't even. I mean, I think like white supremacy is interesting because it also discriminates against white people. You know, and like you know, it's sort of. I mean, it wasn't really long ago that Italians were niggers. And Irish were niggers in New York. Oh, yeah. If you look at um, Rossellini. Rossellini, uh, is it Paisan or th- that he did? What they showed was a lot of the Southern Italians were, were like dirt poor. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of American Italians are from the South. Yeah. And they were dirt poor. And they were considered like the lowest, like Italians, Irish. I mean, a lot of white people are niggers now. <laughs> that too. <laughs> a lot of white people are living are living as niggers now. They right. just in their minds. But they hate black. People. But they hate black yeah. people. Yeah. 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 Because because the black people are be- they they are considered below in them. In their minds, in their they are. But the society. But a society. But a society capital, has told them that. Capital W whiteness. Right. Is this insane endemic? And if anyone ever hears me say it, like. The internet's gonna kill me because they they hate they they hate it. Capital capital, capital w. w whiteness white privilege um, right okay whatever it is 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 the most uncomfortable thing that that people do not want to talk about especially white people. One example right away when when I come across when a lot of people hear the term white privilege it's like what privilege do I have I take the bus uh, just like you like and I I hear that so much and it's mostly on say like social media or on like a forum or something but. Those people exist in the real world, and I get the sense that, like, when I see five to ten examples of of that way of thinking, I know that millions of people probably think that too. Like, they're very there's a lot of white people who are very cynical towards white privilege, and they just don't, you know. But I, get well, it's it, annoying. You know? But there's a difference between an annoying afterthought and an afterthought that affects your life, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. there are things that are going on in this country that very let that very well let you know that that certain people intrinsically on a base level seem to have more rights than other people. Yeah. And you can either be annoyed by it, like, uh But I, I think it's more basic than that. Because I was I, I was speaking to I was speaking to Marcus before you guys came in. And I was speaking about in order for a white person to understand white privilege, they have to go outside of their comfort zone. They have to go like I was telling him that I think the best movie about Che Guevara is Motorcycle Diaries. And it, it it showed me how he became how he got in become a, a freedom fighter by by that trip that motorcycle trip he made and he saw that there were people less privileged than he was and he felt like he needed you know his asthmatic self felt like very empathetic for, to those people and he felt like he needed to do something about that but he wouldn't have done that if he didn't go on that trip and I think. In order for someone to understand why privilege, they have to see people who are less fortunate than them and see how how the day to day affects them. All right. So to get back to, to to the movie, what is it that prompted you, Shaka, to to actually make it in the first place? Go ahead. Well, it's it's funny because so my friend Chris Kristen Sprague, who uh, is my friend from college, one of my best friends in the world. He's also my editor. He's edited everything I've ever made. 
Um, and years ago, he came to me and he said, man, I came up with this idea for a movie. He said it should be you. So to backtrack a bit, probably when I was, I went to school in a um, very Italian, Irish, Greek neighborhood mm -hmm. uh, in Bay Ridge. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I went there from fifth grade to 12th grade. Okay. And um, this was actually my first exposure to white people. I didn't, I grew up in Bed-Stuy. I went to school in Spanish Harlem. So mm. I didn't really interact with any young white people uh, until fifth grade. Okay. Uh, which is actually early for a lot of, like, you know, black people who grow up in a black neighborhood. Yes. Um, and so, you know, my concept of what white people were like was informed by television, you know. So, you know, I, I had, you can kind of wrap your mind around sort of the idea of whiteness that I had. So then I get to the school and I meet all these kids who are, they don't fit into that sort of uh, avatar of whiteness that I've, you know, seen on TV my whole life. They're yeah. drastically different. Like, yeah. You know, and they were really interesting. They were really funny, a lot of them. Um, but, you know, they also, a lot of them could be kind of racist. And what was interesting was that, I re you know, in hindsight, just as I was influenced by sort of, you know, hip-hop and, and basketball and sort of, uh, things that like black youth culture, black youth culture oriented um, things mm -hmm. I, I was influenced by as a kid. They were influenced by, you know, Italian American, you know, cultural things like Scorsese movies. Um, but yeah. also, but it's, it's interesting because like those movies are influenced by, you know, just street culture, like neighborhood culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like what Scorsese is doing. Mm -hmm with those movies is he's tapping into, you know, a portion of the culture that he grew up in. So it's just this, it's, it's this weird sort of sick, you know, chicken and egg kind of thing where, you know, like the neighborhood begets the cinema, the cinema then begets these like sort of behaviors that creep into, you know, everyday life in, in, in Italian American culture. So you had these kids who like would walk around with like the slick black hair and, you know, they were, they'd say like, they, they weren't necessarily, like, even saying racist stuff. They were right. just really funny mm -hmm. and really quick-witted the way that a lot of those characters in those movies were. Mm -hmm. um, and right around that time is when I started to just, like, watch R-rated movies with my mom. That's when my mom would start, start allowing that. So at some point, I remember seeing either Goodfellas and Casino and, like, seeing these kids that I was going to school with, and I just thought that these characters were just so funny. And... One day, I'm hanging out with my cousin, who, you know, we would, my cousin Gerard, who, you know, he and I would, like, talk on the phone for, like, hours at a time and just talk shit and crack jokes. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I, I sort of launched into this accent, and he just just started cackling. I don't know where I got it. I don't know if I got it from the kids. I don't know if I got it from the movies or a combination of both. But I just went into this <coughs> whole imitation, and, you know, he started throwing it back at me. And we just kind of created these characters. And this is like probably seventh grade. We kind of created these characters that we would just riff off of for hours. And then my friend Keith Cherry comes to my high school and he can imitate any fucking thing. So he gets involved. And now the three of us are just like, you know, on the back of the bus or like on the phone just talking as these characters. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to, you know, I'm in college. This is after college. I mean, this is like a, maybe a few years before we made the movie. 
Chris comes and Chris has watched me, Keith, and my cousin do this for years, mm-hmm. just like for fun. I mean, this is stuff we, you know, prior to Moulin Yans, I'd say like at least three to four years, just like recently kind of stopped just being silly and doing mm-hmm. this stuff, you know? And so <coughs> Chris is like, yo, I, I was watching a Bronx tale the other night and, you know, there's that scene in the Bronx tale where, um, you know, this like black kid drives by in the neighborhood and essentially like, you know, the young kids on the stoop, the young Italian kids on the stoop, say so like, there goes the neighborhood. And then uh, later on, they end up like beating another group of black kids who drive through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was like, I was watching that. And he was like, and I thought it'd be so funny if you and Gerard and Keith, like, you know, basically just flipped the script and played the Italians. And, you know, you made it this sort of allegory about gentrification where there's a white jogger. I was about to get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, and, and, and it was just like, a, I was like, we have to do this. I was like, we have to do it. So then, you know, we started coming up with a script, he and I, and, uh, you know, it, it, all, it was so dark the way we would take it automatically because both of us have a very dark sensibility. Um, but I think also there was just this, I mean, not even just was, like there's always just a level of anger to, I mean, certainly to Chris, but to me as well, where, you know, just like, you know, white supremacy is enraging, you know what I mean? Especially the older I get, it's even, it's it becomes like more enraging and in a way, way more funny and absurd. Um, yes. But, but you know, like adult, like fifth grade, I got, you know, the cops making monkey sounds at me when I'm going home. Fifth grade, mm-hmm. that's nothing compared to like, you know, at 20, whatever, being told, yeah, your movie's worthless because, like, it's black people in it. Like, like that's like, that's like, oh, shit. That's, that's deep. That really hurts. Like, wait, my livelihood is affected? Like, just literally anything I do is automatically worth less just because I did it? You know, that was like, that was real shit. That made me do drugs and, you know, like, lose sleep and get a hernia. You know what I mean? So... I have that anger in me, right? So when we're crafting this stuff, me and Chris, yo, like the jogger at the end, we're kill- we're beating this motherfucker to death. And I'm like, yo, I don't think we can do this, kid. Like, <laughs> I don't think we can make this movie where we like beat a white guy to death at the end and that's how it ends. You know what I mean? And like but, we're screaming. But it's, no, we're ho- it's, it's ho- no different. Go ahead. No, let me, let me, and, and we're screaming nigger as right. we beat this white man to death. It's ill as fuck, right? Right. Like I'm, I'm looking at Chris. Like this is the, this is the way we got, it. we got to do it, but we can't do it. And so for about, I want to say we, we stopped, we stopped working on it for like a year and a half, and we just weren't gonna do it anymore because we were like, we can't do it. We're not gonna be able to make anything in this industry, and it's just too fucked up. Like I'm not, I'm actually not a hateful, violent person, and I'm not, and I don't hate white people at all. So. It was like, and, and like, what are we saying? Like, we're not, anything we're trying to say is going to get lost in this, like, violent act. And all people are going to focus on when we make this piece of art is this violent act. And, they, and then they'll be able to say we're, 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 quote, unquote, reverse racist, which, you know, that's not the point of this. The point of this is to show how absurd white supremacy and racism are. So it was like, how do we do that? And then at some point, so like, Fast forward, you know, a lot because a lot of this, a lot of the whole reason I made this movie, ties into like the reception of new to, uh, to newlyweeds and how like how newlyweeds didn't really do 
and it did things for my career, but it didn't do what I hoped it would do. What you did know, you hope it would do? Well, I just hoped it would like you know get a good have a good theatrical run. I hoped that it would like get me an opportunity to you know direct a feature for more money. Mm-hmm. I hoped that it would get me TV directing jobs. I hoped it would just like boost my career. It got me an agent. It it did things for me. It opened a lot of doors for me, but. It didn't do for me what it would have done if there'd been white actors in the movie, and it, and I don't think it and, and just as and no name white actors too, not even famous white actors like no name white actors. I don't think it would have it wouldn't have done, and I don't think it would have done for me quite frankly, uh, what it would have done for me if I, if a white director had made that movie because the the guy who made Gimme the Loot he basically made a, not a very dissimilar movie to the movie I made, mm-hmm. and you know I know that he had I know people who know him and I've, I've never met him, but I just know yeah Marcus can tell you that he. You know, like like he had, and it, I've had these opportunities now, but I've had to, you know, it's it's typical black shit. You know what I'm saying? This is what my pops had to do. You just got to work 20 times hard. That's real shit. You got to work 20 times hard to get the same thing. That's just real shit. So, like, I have this, I'm thinking about these things, and I'm, like, sitting there for a year, and I'm not making anything. I haven't made, I haven't shot anything. And I'm, like, I've been writing stuff, but I'm writing stuff that I don't think will get made. And then, and I honestly, I'm thinking to myself, do I want to even, there was a point where I was like, do I want to even make movies? Do I want to even make movies? And then it was like, okay, is it, go, you know, you, you, you go through film school and you, you know, you make, you're told, all right, you make the feature, then you make the bigger feature. So you don't think to yourself, I should keep making shorts, right? But I was like, I was sitting in my crib and I was like, I have to make something, I have to make a short. I have to make something that like is therapeutic for me, mm-hmm. right? And I have to like just be to be frank, I have to like let people know I'm fucking smart because they didn't look at newlyweeds and get that I'm fucking smart. So I was like I got to let make something that like lets and I mean not just like I mean like the industry. Like I was like I need them to like respect my mind, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, we gotta make Moulinians. We just have to. And I went, I knocked on Chris's door. He lives upstairs from me. I was like, really I was like, we have to make Moulinians. I was like, we have to do it. So I could just, I literally went upstairs, knocked on the door. I was like, we gotta make this movie. And then I was like, but we gotta figure out, like, a what the point of the movie is because it's a cool idea. We have to figure out what we're trying to say with this movie. And b, like, that's gonna inform everything because that I know that will change the ending, right? And so. I ended up meeting a, this woman, my friend Sheena, and she, you know, she's an actress, and she like just when she spoke, she, I remember saying, "I was like, you're definitely from New York, but you're like from old New York. Like you sound like an Italian <laughs> woman from Long Island, right. but you're Puerto Rican. I think she's Puerto Rican. Yeah, she, 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 she's a Hispanic. No, she's Dominican girl actually. Like she's yeah, she's Dominican. Yeah, she's a Dominican girl from uptown, mm-hmm. but she sounded like this like Italian, like an old Italian woman, and it just hit me. I was like, oh." She should play my sister, and I should be mad because a white guy talks to her. Because that, like, that's like, that's it. That's everything. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a comment on so many things. That's a commentary on patriarchy. That's a commentary on the patriarchy that exists in sort of like these, like, in, in, in sort of the cinematic portrayals of Italian American culture. You mm-hmm. see it all the time. Like, mm-hmm. they smack their wife, and it's like, and laugh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like they like, you know, get their sister like can't fuck anybody. Right. You know I mean, they have to be a saint. Like I was like, okay, so we satirized that. 
I said, but then also it just, you know, it's like that, that thing, like that goes back to Emmett Till. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's, 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 it's grab, it nudges at that too, you know? Um, And once I, once we went there, the whole story just came to me in like a day. Like I just got the story down. I realized, oh, we can like sort of crack these jokes up front. And then once my sister comes in the picture, it kind of will take on this other tone that's much more serious and violent and dangerous, but still funny. Could you see this as a feature? You know, I, I wish I could, but I, I can't really. It's unnecessary. Okay. I think it could exist as other shorts mm-hmm. and different stories. Mm-hmm. But the magic of it is that everyone understands it, gets it, and loves it in like four or five minutes. When I saw this film uh, premiered, not premiered, but it was shown at at a New Voices in Black Cinema festival mm-hmm. that um, Spit was also at, mm-hmm. it, people, it was it resonated so well that there were beats that were missed because people were laughing so hard. Right. And it was like that painful laughter because you're like, I understand where this comes from. So Mm -hmm. I don't, earlier, I don't think it's a a commentary on that if there was a power reversal, people would be any other way. I think it's just kind of like, to me, it was just like an annoyance of enjoying these films at the expense of black people sometimes. Because you I forget being like, hey, like as a kid, as a teenager, being like, like, with, I think as you were saying earlier, so we all know each other. The way to understand privilege and shit is by knowing th- knowing people. So mm-hmm. going to a high school in New York City in the '90s, you meet all types of people. So I had that sort of thing. But then there was like I would show someone taxi driver, and forgot that there are like racist parts. Yes, like like, like Martin Scorsese <laughs> would just throw in some shit. Right. Where they're like, where there's like, oh, there's this racism. So I thought, I thought it was kind of like, why you got to do that, man? Like, like why, why does like Quentin Tarantino have to throw in certain things? Why do certain directors have to have these moments where like, you're laughing at the benefit? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Dead. Yeah. Dead nigga story. Yeah. But, but, why? But he just wanted to say that word. That's it. Yeah. A bunch of times. That movie doesn't even, that, 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 that scene doesn't even help the plot of the film. Well, all right, so let me let me reverse it then. Why why need to put that in that movie? The the you know discriminating against white people in the movie and and that, well, especially no, the, that the scene whole, that but, in the in the restaurant. But where the whole the whole movie is supposed to be that scene in Taxi Driver where in Martin Scorsese's like there's a nigger upstairs fucking my wife and I'm gonna kill him or the Tarantino dead nigger storage scene. That my movie is literally. Let's take that scene and satirize the idea of that. So let's create a racial speed bump for a white viewer. Right. Like these movies are racial speed bumps in my sort of enjoying, in my movie going experience. And to, I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm watching. I mean, Taxi Driver is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I told Ryan Coogler that and he was like, what about like the racism in that movie? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I know. The thing about the Taxi Driver is, you know, Paul Schrader's script was actually a lot more racist. I know. Yes. And Scorsese chose chose to mute it. Schrader wanted to upplay the racism Whoa. of the character. I mean, um, Harvey Keitel's character was supposed to be black. It was yeah, Richard to be Pryor like was the original Keitel. casting. I don't know what what happened. Yeah, the blue collar. I mean, Schrader was always really fascinated with Pryor, and I don't know if it was Scorsese. I don't know. If, I can't remember the exact story of why Pryor didn't ended up not doing it. 
but there was there was definitely a, uh, something had happened. But the racism in the original script was actually a lot more. But was probably in a way of like saying, yeah, we we we're racist. Mm-hmm. Scorsese was trying to strangely mute it because I don't think he was really ready to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. But then that's why it comes out so freaking awkward. It comes, it's, yeah. so awkward. <laughs> it's so awkward when yeah. you see like you know four black pimps in a freaking room and you're just yeah. like. <laughs> and not just in a room, but the eye of the camera just makes them villainous. I mean, again, yes. pimps aren't great guys, but the way that the camera slowly zooms in on those pimps in the diner is just like they're the most evil, vile, you know, folks. Not even the pimps. There's a young black guy walking walking past right, Travis Bickle. And no, 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 looks, no, 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 no. It's not the, that scene. The, right, the it's regular scene. black It's dude. just some young black guy just walking by, and it's that cut back and forth where Travis is following. And he's just looking at him, <laughs> and he's not the black. He's not doing anything. And it's funny because Taxi Driver is one of my all-time favorite movies too. And people are like, but it's a racist. And my thing, well, I'd say a couple of things. One, it's not like I'm rooting for anyone in the movie. <laughs> exactly. Like Travis Bickle isn't like, but but that's a problem because people do. Some people do look at Travis Bickle as cool, just like how when people watch Clockwork Orange, they think Alex is cool. But I, I like to. Neither I just, of them are cool. But exactly. My thing. I, I that that movie. I just step They're back and watch this, this story. Yeah. You know. You know what I mean. Yeah. You, so. you can be incredibly frustrated by something and be offended by something and still can't veer away from it. Yeah. Which is funny. Well, it ties back to what I was saying before I left. With going back back to Milianz real quick, you got like when you were talking about growing up around like the Italian American kids who they didn't necessarily say anything racist. Although it's safe to say oh, maybe, yeah, it may, no, may, no, well that's okay. Well, even better because before I moved to Mass, I, I I was born in Queens. I lived in Queens for seven years of my life. And at an early age, I got that my uncles, my dad, my grandmother, oh, they, they were very pro-black. Not in like a cartoonish over-the-top way but they, they were very pro-black but anytime i would see my dad interact with like say an italian american who was clearly you know a little extra with it my dad would be tickled by that like my dad liked archie bunker yeah. and i remember at five like wait i don't this doesn't make any sense you're pro-black you don't like racism but like you watch archie bunker it's like you find older like italian american guys who are jokingly racist you find that funny that that never made sense you know why i never understood you know why it made why it always made sense to me because it's so fucking funny yeah because they're actually really witty and clever with their racism yeah like and i think my dad was one of the back to that point when he saw one of the one of one of the i mean i i don't know one of the funniest things i've ever heard in my life the first time i heard it it's not funny anymore because now people say it all the time the first time i was watching casino and and Joe Pesci said sand niggers. Yeah. Me and my cousin mm-hmm. probably like almost vomited because we were laughing oh, so shit. hard. Yeah. And by nigger he means me. Yeah. So it's yeah. like yeah. like it's a but we were just like that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking brilliant. So like one of the things we wanted to do with I Mulan. Told, I told you the other one. That was yeah that. And you you that still died again. Yeah. So that's one of the things I wanted yeah. to do with Mulan Yans was also show. That racism is fucking funny too. Yes. It's terrible mm-hmm. and it's cruel, but it's also hilarious. So it was important to for the movie to be funny. And I we honestly thought there would be a sort of tonal shift at a certain point in the film where people were like specifically white people mm-hmm. were just like a little uneasy because that was important to us to make them uneasy the same way, like I said. Taxi Driver and Pulp Fiction in those scenes make, you know, a black person uneasy if they're watching the, watching the film. But uh, in, in many instances, 
that just isn't the case because they find it so funny. Yeah. So it was interesting to have that, to get that reaction. In a lot of ways, the movie was an experiment to see, well, how will this, how will people, how will this play? A lot of people make shorts, including um, Entume, to test out ideas. Mm-hmm. And what, what were you, te- I mean, you, you, I think you probably just said it. You were testing out those ideas, how far you can push people before, you know, how far you can push a joke before it's no longer a joke. Yeah, like when will you stop laughing and and who will laugh when? Like I was actually very concerned that white women would be particularly offended by the scene in the restaurant. What has the the reaction been in regards to that scene? It's well received across the board. No one's ever, I've had a few, I've had a few, I mean, first of all, no one's going to tell me like, oh, this was offensive, you know, but, but, but I have had, anonymous, I have, an, an, anonymously, but you watch them, you know, you watch people, you, and you, you kind of see how people react to it. I, I, one of the things when I, when I, you know, first made it, I would invite people over and just like watch their face and see what, mm-hmm. when they reacted and how they reacted. And, and across the board, like generally speaking, there was, there was no backlash. You'll let me know if you don't want to tell this story. Okay. Um, Sarajevo. Oh man! Please, can, do you want to oh, tell that story? Yeah, I do actually. Sorry, that was crazy. You, so you, I, I, went, I, know I screened it. I screened it in Bosnia at this film festival. Okay, all right. And my last night right. there, my last <laughs> night there, um, <laughs> this was amazing. Uh, You're welcome. This was amazing. So I'm hanging out. I made some really good friends there. Like really, like really, met some like people I really dug. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from around the world, but a lot of Bosnians. Mm-hmm. And I'm chilling with these, you know, these friends I made. And uh, this woman comes up to me. It's like really, really beautiful woman comes up to me. And she's like, oh, I really loved your movie, you know. And, you know, I have a girlfriend, so I wasn't trying to, you know. But, yes. I, but you know, you're feeling yourself regardless. You know what I mean? Because, like, you know, it's a beautiful woman saying that. So you got to, you know, that, that does, that does you know, boost the ego. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, you know, yeah, thank you. And, and she's like, yeah, you know, um. I really loved, like, you know, the, like, you know, the, like, the nigger part, you know, like, the nigger, and, you know, I'm, I'm like, she's, like, hmm. she's, oh, she didn't even say that, because that would have made sense, no, she my bad, she said, film. she, that's right, that's right, thank you, Scott, you remember this story, made way better than I, she said, you know, it was a, it was a real nigger film, right, and, and I was, like, and it's, the thing that's funny is I was just seconds ago, seconds before talking to one of the filmmakers at the uh, you know at the at the event who wasn't from bosnia and i was like yo man it's just been like just like no racial speed bumps in life in that you know and then like and then like literally she comes up and she's like yeah it's like a real nigga film and so i kind of he heard it too and we just kind of looked at each other and i just like i froze up for a second and um you know she said she said it again she was like yeah you know like the nigga and like you know the and 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 i just like i just couldn't like i almost couldn't hear and then she walked away and i i she was a bosnian she was bosnian she walked away and i said i I said excuse me i I gotta i gotta go talk to her so i went up to her and i said hey what did you mean by it's a real nigga film and she could tell just from Cause I tried to do it in a way where we could have a real conversation. It was right. No, it was a, it was a not hard R. It was a. She meant nigga like like 
Rap nigga. Yeah. She didn't mean it, nigger. She went, she meant it like rap nigga. Okay. So, Jesus. so I went up to her. I was like, what do you mean by that? And she said, oh, you know, like Spike Lee. <laughs> she said, oh, you know, like Spike Lee, like, you know, nigga. Like, and she was like, you don't like, you don't like me saying that, do you? <laughs> and I said, no, I, I don't. Yeah. Um, I said, she was like, oh, you know, she's like, I just, I like saying it, you know? A lot and, of white people do. And I, and I, I, I might have said that. I don't remember what I said, but I was just like, yeah, you really, you really shouldn't, shouldn't say that, that at all. I was yeah. like, it's like very offensive and so like derogatory that, That's term. a question I was going to ask you. Yeah. Now. So the guys are sitting on a stoop. You're mm-hmm. sitting on a stoop. It's hard not to draw that conclusion. I mean, not the conclusion, to draw that line between you're short and do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... How do you respond to that? Because people are going to, you know, again, to look at on the surface, and a lot of people are going to react on the surface. Very few people are going to react two levels below. How do you respond to that sort of um, uh, response? But what do you, I don't what do you mean? Well, people are going to, just like that Bosnian lady, mm-hmm. she didn't see your film for the individual film that it is. Mm-hmm. She saw it as a derivative Oh. Of of Spike Lee. Well, people are going to do that for the rest of my life. I'm just prepared, and it doesn't really... The thing is, like... Yeah, it doesn't... I, I, that doesn't bother me, like, in the least, actually. Because I, I've sort of come to expect it after, like, you know, over 10 years of making films and just having everyone say, so you're going to be the next Spike Lee? Or, you know, the Spike... And just, like, you're just constantly... You know, he's... It's kind of like... It's kind of like basketball in Jordan. If you're good at basketball... Like everyone's like, are you gonna be the next Jordan, or like, are you gonna be the next LeBron? Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's only there's only like to a lot of people, there's only one black director. But I'll, but I'll tell you what, like when they go, like people are gonna when as as more black oh, as more black female filmmakers are, are making movies, they're gonna be like, are you the next Ava? If there's a black woman make, if there's a you know black woman in her twenty twenty one year old black woman right now. Who makes a movie and it comes to prominence and like are you gonna be the next Ava well in case you didn't know who he was speaking about he was speaking about Ava DuVernay director of the acclaimed Selma I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did I would invite you to check out Scott Shaka M. Tume and Marcus's current and future projects at InsideThePhoenix.com. This is Warren Wade Anderson. Thank you for spending time with Inside the Phoenix.